Matthew chapter 5, continuing the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking now here several weeks at this first section. The first section, which is called the Beatitudes. That word beati is the Latin word for blessed. And Jesus here in this section is teaching on what it means to, to live a life that is blessed by God. And in so doing, he's describing a certain kind of person, a certain kind of character. He's describing, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the character of someone who has been marked by God, someone who has received the, 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 the Holy Spirit, someone who is born again, someone who is a child of God, and the, the kind of character the kind of fruit that is born out in that person's life and that that is the person in this life that is truly blessed. And so again, we're going to look at uh, one of these. We're taking one week at a time and uh, one of these per week, I should say. And today we're looking at verse five specifically, but we're reading the whole section over again each week just uh, as a way of getting it into our heart and into our spirit. And so Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verse 1 through verse 12 this morning. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a treasure to us. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, without your word, we would be lost. Without your word, we would be in darkness. Without your word, Father, we wouldn't know if we should turn to the right or to the left. But God, because of your word, it is that light that just shines forth. It, it penetrates the darkness. It, it shows us the way we should go, the way that we should live. Lord, it's because of your word that we know of your son, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. We know of his work of redemption, Lord, that we've already celebrated here this morning. Lord, I pray that we as your people, that you would help us to walk in the light of your word today. Lord, as we consider the words of your son, as we consider this sermon that he preached, as we consider uh, the, these words, Lord, that they would be more precious to us than gold. 
Lord, that they would be more precious to us than, than anything else in our life. Lord, any other word, any other thought, any other idea. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. Lord, that through our time in your word, Lord, that you would touch us, that you would change us, that you would shape us and mold us into your people. Lord, that we would not be the same, but that we would be changed, marked by you and marked by your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, what you have done, what you are doing, and your plans for us we know are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we've looked at the first two of these, what we're starting to see here is that there's a progression. Now as we're on to the third beatitude, there's a progression that, that happens and that we cannot, truly we cannot move on to this third one here, blessed are the meek, if we have not first understood and experienced the poverty of spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. It is those who have understood, who have experienced this poverty of spirit, recognizing who they are before God, and who mourn over their sin, that meekness is produced in their life. You, you will not be meek. You will not have this attribute, this character trait about you, this fruit of the Spirit, if you will, in your life. If you have not first been made poor in spirit and are not a person who mourns over your sin. And so if you, if you missed any of the last two weeks, I encourage you to go back and to listen to those sermons. They will be a blessing to you. But this morning we are moving on, we're moving on now to this character trait of this person that Jesus is describing, the blessed person. Jesus says that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again, right away, right off the bat, right here, we're reminded that the person that Jesus is describing is not the natural man. The natural man or the fleshly man is not meek. In fact, he is nothing, nothing like meek at all. And also Jesus is not describing the culture that we live in today. Do we live in a world, in a culture where the, the dominating idea on how you advance in this life is to be meek? That if you really want to get ahead, if you really want to, to move on, if, if you really want to, to make something of yourself in this life, the key to doing it is to be meek. Is, is that what people think? No, not, not at all. Do we live in a culture, in a world that holds up meekness as a virtue? That, that, that exonerates, that, 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 that lifts up examples of, of meekness as a virtuous thing? In fact, I would argue that we hardly ever see meekness on display in our culture. The stories that we tell, the songs that are, are written, the, the movies, the, 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 the TV shows, you, you will be hard-pressed to find someone demonstrating meekness. We do not live in a culture that values this. In fact, it is quite honestly the polar opposite. 
We find, do we not, that pride and arrogance and self-assurance and egotism are what are valued in our culture, right? It's It's the proud that our world believes will inherit the earth. In fact, I I think we can make an argument that we may live in the most arrogant and self-assured generation of all time. We live in the generation of people who grew up thinking that they were something just by virtue of them existing. We, We now live in the world that is being being started to being run by the, the generation that grew up with participation trophies, celebrated just for tying your shoes, you know, just showing up. So we live in a culture that is so self-assured and so arrogant about itself, even though, even if it hasn't even accomplished anything, which causes us to live full of pride and arrogance and self-promotion And so once again, all of this, seeing the the contrast, this just draws out for us in vivid detail the, the stark contrast between the natural man, the way of the world, and the way of the kingdom of God. That they are not just, uh, they're not just slightly different, they're polar opposites from one another. The thinking and the values of the natural man and the thinking and the values of the born again man led by the Spirit of God are the opposite. And that's because you and I, brothers and sisters, we are part of a different kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of God. And we serve a different king. And our king is not like the, 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 the one who dominates the, the worldly culture. So our king and his culture is a different culture with different values, with different affections, with different heart desires. And here Jesus, as a prophet, declares, he lays down a bedrock truth for all Christians, for all time, everywhere, that it is not the proud and the arrogant and the self-assured and the haughty and the boastful who will inherit the earth, but rather it is the meek that will inherit the earth. So who are the meek? How do we define this word? There's a lot of misconceptions about what the word meek means. You might not even have a well-formed idea because often we draw our ideas from the culture. So this morning, I want to start by defining what the word meek is not, what it is not. The first we have to, to say and just make abundantly clear is that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Often these words are confused because they they sound so similar. In fact, even as I was typing my sermon notes, when I would misspell meek or meekness, what my word processor wanted to substitute was the word weak or weakness. But it is not weakness. Meekness is not someone who lacks a a backbone, someone who lacks a spine. Meekness is not someone with a jellyfish personality. 
Meekness is not someone who lets the whole world and everybody else trample all over them. That's not meekness. Meekness is not someone who has no courage. Meekness is not emotional flabbiness. Meekness is not, we have to understand, not weakness. There is nothing virtuous about any of these things. There is nothing virtuous about having no courage. There's nothing virtuous about having no backbone. There's no inherent goodness in being weak. That is not what meekness is. So having laid that down, let's move on to what it actually is. If you look at the root of the Greek word used here for meekness, what it means is to tame, to tame. It was the word that was used for breaking in a horse. It means to bridle. Is so looking at the, re, the, the, the root of the Greek word, it means to make mild, to tame. Again, for gentling or breaking in or bridling a horse. So it is not, it is not weak, wimpy, timid, or afraid. Instead, meekness is the strong who have been broken in by the Lord and have been gentled by him and by his spirit have been made useful unto him and in his service. That is the meek. It is the opposite of unbridled anger and passion. It refers to someone who has been bridled by the Lord. The most succinct way I could boil this down for you is that meekness is power under control or strength under control. Strength or power under control. And so meekness then is a quality shown only by the strong. It is only the strong that can be meek because meekness is not weakness But it is shown, it is a quality shown by strong people who do not use their strength and power to dominate others, but rather use their strength and power to build others up, to lift up others. This is meekness. This is meekness. Now, there's a sinful default position that most people have because meekness truly is something that is produced in us by the Spirit of God. The natural man, the fleshly man, the sinful person will naturally fall into one side of a sinful behavior. One side would be to be weak, to to let other people walk all over them, to have no backbone, we've already looked at that, to be a pushover, to be apathetic, to not care, to have no strength. But the opposite end of the spectrum, the opposite extreme is those who are angry, those who are violent, 
those who are vengeful, those who are domineering, those who push others down in the advancement of themselves. But meekness is not weakness, and meekness does not dominate others. Meekness says that we must be strong. We must have deeply held convictions. We must be people that are not easily overcome. Meek people are a force to be reckoned with, but they are under control. They are under control. They are under the control of the Holy Spirit. They are under control of the Lord Jesus. They they are not out of control. They, They are not using their passions and their anger and their emotions overcome by those things. No, what dominates the meek person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And upon that kind of person, Jesus pronounces a blessing. Blessed are those who are strong and yield their strength to be used by the Lord Jesus. There are so many examples of this in Scripture. uh, The Scriptures abound with examples of meek people. Let me just throw a few of them out for you and and jog your memory. Let's start with Abraham. Abraham. Do you remember when Abraham became so wealthy that him and his nephew couldn't inhabit the same place? And so Abraham goes to his nephew Lot and and, and their, their, uh, their, their servants were fighting over the best land, Lot's servants and Abraham's servants. And Abraham goes to his nephew Lot and he says, Lot, take your pick. You you pick which way you want to go. I'll let you pick the land because I know that whichever way I go, God's going to bless me. So so you, you have your pick, Lot. And so he lets Lot take his pick and Abraham goes in the opposite direction. That was an example of meekness. What about Jacob? What about Jacob? Do you think of meekness when you think of Jacob? You you don't really. You think of the schemer. You think of the planner. You you think of the liar. You you think of of the one who is always grasping. And that is who Jacob was until he wrestled with God. And through that wrestling with God, God touched him marked him, changed his name from Jacob to Israel and blessed him. But from that moment on, Jacob walked with a limp from wrestling with God. God broke Jacob. He broke him. He broke him in to be useful for him. And from that moment on, we see a, def- we see a change in Jacob's life where he goes from someone who's only pursuing his own wealth, his own desires, his own passions, his own kingdom, scheming and planning, but then he is broken by the Lord and walks with a limp. But from that moment on, he stays close to the Lord and follows and goes the way that God would lead him to go. That's Jacob. What about Moses? Moses is described in the Bible as the meekest person who ever lived, which is somewhat funny because he's the one who actually wrote that verse. So, 
But, but I think as you look at, at Moses and how he lived and how he led the children of Israel, I think you do see someone who is incredibly meek. Moses endured several rebellions as he led the children of Israel. One of them by his own sister and brother. And Moses, so meek, did never put these people in their place. Never said, don't you know who I am? I'm Moses. I'm the meekest person who ever lived. I'm the one that God showed up and and spoke to in the burning bush. I'm the one who went up on the mountain and met face to face with God. I'm the one whose face was shining and you had to put a veil on me. No. Moses let God do that for him. He demonstrated in that moment, those moments, meekness. What about David? David, as he's being chased around the countryside by Saul, the king. Saul, the king, who the, the, the Lord had said, I am ripping the kingdom away from you and I'm giving it to someone who will follow me. David, who had been anointed by the prophet Samuel as the next king of Israel. How easy would it have been, been for David, having been anointed king, to rally the troops and lead a rebellion against King Saul, who did not serve the Lord, who was not fearing God, who was going to witches and and practicing occultism. But David was a meek person. Even when Saul was delivered into David's hands, David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. David, in those moments, demonstrated weakness, power, strength, under control. What about Stephen? And moving into the New Testament, Stephen, when he is persecuted, Stephen, a a man who the Lord used to to do many signs and wonders as as he even begins to preach and to uh, proclaim the the kingdom of, of Christ, But he is, in that moment, persecuted and even martyred for his faith. But in that moment where he is being killed by mob violence, he begins to pray for the souls of those who are casting the stones at him. That, my friends, is meekness. That, my friends, is power under control. And one of the people he was praying for in that moment, a young man named Saul, a few few, um, months later, had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and was changed from being a persecutor of the church to being an apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. The Lord Jesus answered Stephen's prayer. The prayer he prayed as he was being martyred for his faithful witness. What about Paul? What about the Apostle Paul? I want to look at a passage here in uh, 1 Timothy. Flip with me a few books into the New Testament. 1 Timothy. For 1 Timothy chapter 1. L- listen to the testimony of the Apostle Paul.
Verse 13, 1 Timothy 1, 13. Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be a persecutor of the church. But God showed me grace. God showed me grace. God showed me mercy. His his love for me overflowed. Verse 15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then as Paul reflects on all of this, all of this grace, all of this mercy, all of this love that is undeserved, but that he has received, he breaks into praise, he breaks into a a doxology, an overflow of worship. In verse 17, he says, to the king of ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul reflects on the fact that he is not someone who deserved God's love. He's not someone who deserved grace, who deserved mercy, who deserved the forgiveness of sins. Again, this is Paul demonstrating the poverty of spirit. Those who recognize their great spiritual need before a holy God. Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church. But God's grace overflowed in me. So that in me, the chief of sinners, the grace of God would be demonstrated to everyone who would believe upon Christ. So that we could know, that every one of us could know that yes, there is grace for us. Because if there's grace for Paul, who persecuted the church, who oversaw the execution of a deacon by mob violence, if there's grace for his sin, oh, there's grace for me. And there's grace for you in Christ But Paul never moved beyond grace. He he never moved beyond the cross. There is where he planted his flag. There is where he stood. And he teaches everyone who follows the gospel that this is where we stand. We stand at the cross. We stand here. This is our foundation. We do not move beyond needing grace. We do not move beyond recognizing that we do not deserve God's love. 
And I believe that all of us who have experienced this mark, this wrestling with God, this being broken before the Lord, that we all have experienced this, this poverty of spirit where we at times in the holiness, in, in God's presence, where we at times feel like we are the chief of sinners, but that his grace overflowed towards us who believe. And that now he has given us his spirit where we were weak Now he has made us strong. But it's not in ourselves. We we never move beyond the cross. We never move beyond recognizing our spiritual need. That if it's not for him, we are hopelessly lost. But because of him, the God who saves sinners, we have passed from death to life. And what about Jesus? He, of course, is the greatest example of meekness the world has ever known. Flip with me to Philippians, just back a few pages in your Bible. Philippians 1, we've looked at this passage so many times. It's just because it's so good. How many of you watch your favorite movie over and over again? I mean, just keep going back to these, my favorite passages. Philippians 1, verse 4, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There has never been someone who had more power, more strength, more authority than Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. No one has ever stooped so low. No one has ever condescended so far. No one has ever made such a vast journey as the Lord Jesus coming from heaven's throne to Bethlehem's manger. 
But not just Bethlehem's manger, as Paul describes it here, Calvary's cross. He left the throne to go to the cross. And sometimes I think that because of the way Jesus is portrayed, either in writings or on statues, crucifixes, you see Jesus hanging there on the cross, and he looks weak. Often he's emaciated. It looks like he hasn't eaten in six months. He definitely didn't live in San Antonio. <laughs> right? right? He, he's on the cross. The, the vision, the picture that's portrayed in paintings and statues on crucifixes. He's so skinny. He's weak. And we look at that and we say, oh, poor Jesus, so weak. I would submit to you that there has been, never been a greater act of strength and power than Jesus Christ going to the cross. Do not look at the cross and see weakness. No. Earlier, as Jesus is being arrested, he, says, he says, tells his disciples, stop fighting. Don't you know I could call at this moment 12 legions of angels who would rescue me? Jesus hangs on the cross, enduring not only the physical suffering, which we can see with our eyes, but having the, the wrath of God for sin poured out on him in that moment, and he has an escape hatch. He, he has an eject button. At any moment, he could have called out and received deliverance. How much strength of character did it take to stay there and endure the pain of the cross? Now, when you look at the cross, you are not seeing weakness, but you are seeing meekness, power, and strength under control. Jesus humbled himself. But Jesus also used his strength, not for himself, but he used his strength in the service of others. He used his strength to serve others. He says in Matthew 20, 28, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Likewise, we too, who are called to be like Christ, are called to walk in meekness, to humble ourselves, but to use our strength in the service of others, not to serve ourselves, but to serve others, to serve the weak, to serve the needy, to serve those who cannot help themselves. And finally, Jesus used his strength to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus used his strength to do something, to accomplish something, to provide salvation for humanity and for mankind. He could not have done that if he was weak. Likewise, we too will not accomplish much for God if we are weak. 
If we have no character, if we have no moral fiber, if we have no spiritual backbone, I'm not talking about physical strength, though that's good and that's beneficial, but I'm talking about the, 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 the spiritual strength that the Apostle Paul says is of value in every way. Having convictions about stuff. About what is good and what is right and what is bad and evil and wrong. Christians should be people of deep convictions, of moral fiber, who will not compromise. And we must be broken before the Lord, just like Jacob who walked with a limp. So we who have been touched by the Lord, who have experienced that poverty of spirit, we have a tender place in our heart that has been marked by him. We are in the process of mourning over our sin. It produces a brokenness in us, a tenderness in us before the Lord. And we, when we see him rightly, when we see who God is, when he reveals himself to us, as he revealed himself to Isaiah and he saw the Lord high and exalted. He saw the angels proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. When we understand who God is, when we see him rightly, it does produce in us this poverty of spirit, this, this weakness, this brokenness before him. We realize that without him, we are weak. But in light of his Again, this blinding glory and majesty, we, we see ourselves as who we are. And like Isaiah, we cry out, woe is me. And we cling to the cross for salvation. We like the tax collector say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And like Paul, we should always be amazed at God's love and grace for us so that we can sing the song, Amazing Love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? That we should always be amazed at God's love. But what this produces in us, this recognition of who he is and who we are, a humility of spirit, a meekness towards both God and others, so that we are not arrogant, we are not proud, and we yield ourselves to the master's hands. We submit our lives to his will. We follow the example of the Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane who prayed, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. We must be broken before the Lord to be useful for him. But then he begins to build us up in his image, making us like him, filling us with his spirit and his power so that he can rightly say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This here has a present fulfillment and a future fulfillment. 
a present fulfillment and a future fulfillment. The present fulfillment is that this is not the devil's world. This is God's world. The psalmist declares, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. This is God's world. And God declares that it is the meek who will inherit this world. So this world is our inheritance. It belongs to us, God's people. Just like Jesus, we should not be pushovers who allow evil to dominate the world unchecked. Instead, we should, like Jesus, use our strength to serve and protect those who are weak, those who have no voice, those who are oppressed, those who are bound, those who need deliverance. We should use our strength to fight for them. God's people in the world today must not be apathetic, indifferent to the evil and wickedness in our world, and certainly not participate, participating in it. We must not be passive. We must not be weak. We should, like Jesus, destroy the works of the devil. Not with unchecked anger, not with, with hatred in our hearts and rage, but in principled love and humility, not for ourselves, but to serve others, always remembering our brokenness before the Lord, remembering our sinfulness and our need of grace. But we do not let evil run rampant in our world. And in any place that we have authority, any place that we have a voice, we must, not out of, not, not losing our cool, not without control, but with conviction and moral fiber, we should speak the truth in love. You see, the world wants to push us into either of the two extremes, weakness and apathy or into rage. E either one doesn't model Christ. If we fall into either one, we're falling into a trap, which allows the church to be written off in the eyes of the world. Because if we are being weak and apathetic and do not stand for the truth, the world looks, us, looks at us and they say, you have no convictions just like us. If we are flying off the handle and, and angry and full of rage, the world looks at us and says, you're nothing like who, who you claim to be. You're nothing like Jesus. We must be full of love and grace and mercy, but have a backbone of steel, strong, conviction, the Apostle Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We should not be 
angry. The, the media wants to make us angry. Full of rage. That's a trap. Falling into a trap. No, in love we stand for the truth. With full, full of humility and grace. And we can rightly say, yea, but for the grace of God, there go I. That's meekness. And we, the Bible says, will inherit the earth. There's also a future tense to when Christ will return. And at that day, there will not be any proud or arrogant among us. Because it is only the meek who have inherited eternal life. It is only those who have seen their weakness and been broken before the Lord who inherit the kingdom of God. And so we do look forward to the day when Christ will return and banish from our, or our world every ounce of pride and sin and boastfulness and self-ambition. So in conclusion today, have you yielded yourself to Christ? Has he broken you in? Are you useful to the master? Or are you out of control? Are you flying off the handle? Are you constantly enraged at the world today? If you are that way, you are not useful to the master's hand. Are you unbridled in your passions? Not exemplifying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Or are you on the other end of the spectrum, weak and, and timid with no courage and with no boldness? That's no virtue either. But what we all must do is submit all of our strength to the Lord for his use. Submit all of our talents, all of our abilities, all of our possessions, all of our dreams, all of our desires to bring everything that we can bring and muster to the table and to put it in the Lord's hands and say, use this, use me, help me to advance your cause in the world. Help me to fight for those who are weak. Help me to lift those up who need strength. Help me to be strong for those who are weak. Help me to be useful in showing your love and showing your character and your grace in the world. Do you see how the person who follows Christ is not like the person who follows the flesh? We're not called to be anything like the world. The world that's trying to push us into these polar opposites. God's called us to be strong, unwavering, but he's also called us to be gentle, to be principled, to be loving, and to be gracious. I don't know which end of the spectrum you fall on, but what we do need is that we all need the work of the Holy Spirit either to give us boldness to speak and to stand up for our convictions or we need the tempering of the Holy Spirit that we would not be flying off the handle, always angry. I drive on 410 just like the rest of you. Everybody here is angry. 
We need the Holy Spirit to work in us. Our great need is for the Lord to transform our hearts, to make us like him. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have strength, but have yielded it to the master's hand, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us in this world we live in that in so many ways is so lost. Lord, you've not called us to curse the darkness, but to shine a light. It's so easy for us to fall into the flesh, to fall back into the natural man, either being weak and cowardly, ashamed of the gospel, or to be filled with anger at the evil and injustice that we see in our world. Help us to remember, Lord, that vengeance is yours, and you've called us to proclaim the good news the glorious gospel of your son Jesus. Help us to submit our lives, our strength, everything that we have, all of our talents, all of our abilities, all of our dreams, and to focus it, that you would focus it, that you would harness us, that we would live in the power of your spirit to advance your kingdom and your cause in the earth today. Lord, I thank you that wherever your kingdom goes, your blessing goes. Where your kingdom goes, there is joy, there is peace, there is love. Where your kingdom goes, you rescue those who are bound. Where your kingdom goes, you set people free. Help us, Lord, to be agents of your kingdom seeing your work accomplished in people's lives. Let us not forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but that our fight is with spiritual forces. Help us to keep our eyes on you, the one who died and rose again, the one who is victorious, who reigns, who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Help us to walk as your people. Help people to encounter you. God, we want people to encounter you when they encounter us, that they would have a taste of the kingdom when they interact with us, that we would be salt and that we would be light. To the praise of your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.